We've been looking at this great letter to the Romans the last couple of weeks. Who can tell me what the letter to the Romans is all about? It's about a word and it begins with G. Hmm. Any one of the grown-ups could help out. The gospel. Uh, Romans is all about the gospel. Uh, And we've uh, said, haven't we, that the gospel means good news. It's good news. Uh, And today we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, which is a really well-known story. uh, And it's the story of David and Goliath. Now, when you go to the cinema... Uh, not that any of us has been to the cinema too much in the last uh, couple of years, but when you go to the cinema, there's these things at the start called trailers. Uh, and trailers give you a little bit of a preview of some films that are, are coming up in, in the future. And the story of David and Goliath is like a trailer. It's like a preview of the gospel story, of the good news story. So that's why we're looking at the story of, of David and Goliath. And we're going to read through... Uh, the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, It's quite a long chapter, so today we're going to read it in three parts. And after each part, we're going to have a short video uh, and then a little think about uh, what each part means. Uh, Before we begin our reading, just a little bit of a kind of get our bearings in the the story, because we're diving into the book of Samuel right right in the middle. Uh, What's been going on so far? Well, the, the people of Israel have come out of Egypt They've entered the promised land, uh, and they've uh, said, we want a king to rule over us. It wasn't enough to have God ruling over them. They wanted a king, a human king. And uh, so they've had the first king, that's King Saul. And Saul was very much the people's choice. He was strong, he was tall, he was good looking. Everything you would expect in in a king But just before David and Goliath, uh, that scene, what's happened is God has said he's rejected Saul as king and David has been anointed as king, but nobody knows it yet. So David's been anointed as God's chosen king, but no one else knows about it. Saul is still on the throne. And then we begin 1 Samuel chapter 17. And Ada's going to come and read to us the first part of, of that chapter. Thanks, Ada. And then we've got the, a video after that. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socor in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes de Mim between Socor and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Ella and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod 
and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Ella, fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. It's a good question, isn't it? How would you feel if you had to face such a scary enemy? Goliath is a, a scary enemy, isn't he? Did you, did you hear how he was uh, described? He was a, a champion, wasn't he? A champion fighter. Goliath would have trained uh, every day since he was small to be a, a, a killing machine. Goliath was a, a scary, scary man. And did you hear about all of his armour? 
could see that Christopher had some great armor on, didn't he? Uh, Goliath had some uh, armor. His, his, his armor uh, chain mail weighed 60 kilos. 60 kilos, that's nearly as heavy as some people, just Goliath's armor coat. And then his uh, javelin, his, his spear, says it was like a, a weaver's beam. Uh, and the, the tip on it weighed seven kilos. That's like seven bags of sugar, or, or there's a blue weight in the, uh, in the hallway. I know some of you kids have kind of been picking that up. I reckon that's about seven kilos. That was just the tip of uh, Goliath's armor, of Goliath's spear. And then he was shouting uh, scary words, wasn't he? A big booming voice coming across the valley. He was saying, send someone to fight me. If he can kill me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, then you will be my slaves. Imagine what it felt like to be an Israelite in the Israelite army. Such a a terrifying enemy. And Goliath came out every day and every night for 40 days and he would shout across the valley. Just listen to what that did to the, the people of Israel. Verse 11 says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Or verse 24, When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. It was like a living nightmare for the Israelites. Just just try and put yourselves in their shoes. What would it feel like to face such a terrifying enemy, an enemy that you knew you could never defeat. Let's have our our next Bible reading now. Uh, Ruthie's going to come to read us and we'll find out what happens next in the story. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. 
When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go out in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. What would it be like uh, to have uh, a fearful enemy like uh, Goliath, someone you couldn't defeat? Uh, and the question that was on the screen then was, what would it be like, what would it feel like to have somebody like David on your team? The Israelites were, were really scared, weren't they? They didn't want to fight Goliath. But did you notice how different David was? It seemed there was absolutely no fear in him. He was just uh, really confident of defeating Goliath. In fact, as soon as David sees Goliath, that's the first thing that he thinks about, about killing the giant. And so he goes to King Saul and just listen to what he says, what David says to King Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Even though everyone else is afraid, David is uh, super confident and he's super confident in the Lord. And his brothers kind of mock him. That's often or sometimes what brothers do. Uh, they mock David and they say he can't do it. He goes to Saul and Saul again kind of, David, you can't, you can't do it. Goliath's been uh, trained to fight since he was a, a young man and you're just a little boy. You can't do it, David, said Saul. And then Saul said, here, take my armor. You wear my armor and then you can go out to, to fight Goliath. And David tries the armor on, it doesn't fit. So David goes out to fight Goliath. And uh, what do you think everyone was thinking as David went out, out to fight Goliath? Do you think they were thinking, David looks super strong? No. <laughs> they were probably thinking, David looks uh, really, really weak. And yet David is super confident because he trusts the Lord, doesn't he? Let me uh, just read to you again what David said. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He's absolutely confident. You know, when David, uh, when Goliath came out every morning and every evening and he shouted across the valley, it looked almost certain that the people of Israel were going to be slaves and die. It looked uh, 
absolutely impossible that they could be rescued. And yet David knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that God is a God who rescues. So he knew whatever happened, the Lord would rescue him. Sometimes uh, when we read this story of the David and Goliath uh, account, uh, we can be tempted to kind of take this lesson. Okay, what we've got to do is, is, is roll up our sleeves and try a bit harder to be just like David. And yet the truth of it is, actually, who are we most like? Are we most like David, always super confident in the Lord and full of faith? Or are we like the Israelites, often fearful, knowing that we have enemies that we can't defeat? I think for me, actually, often I'm like uh, the Philistines. Just try to imagine what it would be like to have somebody like David on your team. Somebody who's always super confident in the Lord. Let's have our, our third reading now. It's the third reading, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse uh, 41 to 54. 41 to 54. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him and he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will, will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my, our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching out into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from its scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Saramim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistine's head and he brought it to Jerusalem and he put the Philistine's weapons 
in his own tent. Wonderful. What do you think it would feel like uh, to be on the, on the winning side? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, one minute you would feel like there was just certain slavery and death. And then imagine when they saw Goliath fall. Just imagine how those Israelites felt. Imagine how, how glad they would have been. One minute you'd seen Goliath, you'd heard his words, his proud, arrogant words as he defied Israel and Israel's God. You saw his kind of terrible form on the, on the horizon, nine, nine feet tall. And the next minute he's on, he's on the ground. What a delight that would have been for the Israelites. There's a verse uh, in 1 Samuel 17, which I think is really the key to understanding this great story of, of David and Goliath. I'll just read it to you. In this verse, you can hear David's confident faith. Listen to what David says. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals. And then listen to this. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So as David uh, walks down into the valley to face Goliath, he knows that he's bringing a message to the whole world. That's what he says. <laughs> the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. The whole world will know that the Lord saves. As David puts his stone into the sling, the sling goes round and round. And then one little stone goes up, up, up. And, you know, it finishes, the giant comes tumbling down. And God's victory is, is made known. And that just changes everything. You saw it, didn't you, on the video, as the Israelite soldiers came tearing down the hill, knowing that they suddenly had victory. What a, an excitement that would have been. One minute, unspeakably afraid, thinking everyone, everything was lost. And then suddenly, they're on the winning team. It's a, it's a great story, isn't it? The story of David and Goliath. And I said at the start that this is like a trailer for the gospel. It's a sneak preview of God's great salvation plan. And in a moment, we're going to think a little bit about how this story points us forward to the true anointed king, to the Lord Jesus who rescues God's people. The Lord Jesus who is absolutely confident in his father. The Lord Jesus who is strong and brave and defeats enemies that we cannot. Wonderful. What we're going to do now is just think about those three questions that came upon the screen at the end of each of those videos and just think about them in relation to us and to the Lord Jesus. So that first question that we, we had was, how would it feel if you had to face such a scary enemy? And you might be thinking, 
I'm probably never going to have to face someone quite as scary as Goliath. I would be very surprised if when you go to school tomorrow, or if when you go to work uh, tomorrow, uh, that you, you face a nine-foot armor-clad giant. If there's one of those waiting for you in your classroom at work, uh, you should maybe call the police. Uh, you're probably not going to have to face that kind of Goliath. Uh, but when we uh, open our Bibles, we read that as people, human beings, we have enemies fearful enemies, terrible enemies. In fact, even more terrifying than than Goliath. So there's at least three enemies that we, three enemies that we read about in in the Bible. Uh, The first enemy that we we read about is sin. And sin is sometimes pictured like uh, a jailer. Sin is pictured as, as like someone who takes prisoners And the Bible describes that all people are prisoners of of sin. Sin is the wrong things that we do, uh, but sin is more than that. Sin is something that's gone wrong inside of us that means we have hearts that have turned away from God. We have turned our back on God and we've gone our own way and we have got in all sorts of mess. And that's true of uh, every one of us. And as that song said, sin is too strong for us to defeat on our own. We are in its grasp. We are held captive and we cannot uh, rescue ourselves. It's like a cruel slave master. That's our first enemy, a, a terrifying enemy when you think about what sin has done in our, in our world. What's the second enemy? The second enemy, well, is related to sin and that's death. Sin leads to death. We're going to find out in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is, is death. And death also is a terrible enemy. In fact, death is so terrible that we really don't want to think about it. We want to forget about it. We want to do our, our very best not to think about death. And the whole world is gripped by the fear of, of death. Death is a, a terrible enemy. Uh, I think often people visit their doctor and behind that visit to the doctor is the fear of death. But the truth is that no amount of pills, no amount of vaccines, no amount of blood tests, no amount of visits to the doctor can give any real hope in the face of this terrible enemy. Because we all know that we can't defeat death. And I think the best option that we have in the face of death, if it was left up to us, is to uh, try and pretend like it will never happen to us. And so that's what lots of people do. That's the second enemy, death. And then there's a third enemy, Satan. Satan, sometimes called the evil one, or the devil, and Satan is a a terrible enemy, far more powerful than we can imagine. This is how uh, Peter the Apostle writes about Satan. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is very real, uh, very powerful, and he's like a lion. He just loves to destroy 
we were on a Sunday school trip. Uh, when was it? Was it last, last year? We went to, uh, to Chester Zoo. Uh, it was, someone's nodding, yeah. Last year we went to Chester Zoo, and when we saw the lions, it was a really hot day, and basically all the lions did was they just kind of led there <laughs> asleep. That's often what the lions are doing at, at the zoo. But then if the, uh, the zookeeper comes out and puts some meat in the pen, suddenly the lions are up and about, uh, their teeth are out, and they're tearing at, at the meat. Lions are, are fearful creatures. You wouldn't want to be inside that in, enclosure. Satan loves to kill and destroy. He hates you and he would delight in your destruction. So that's three terrifying enemies and they really uh, make Goliath uh, look tame, don't they? Sin, death and Satan. What would it be like to have such a scary enemy? Well, we know, don't we? We know. But what was the next question? Next question, how would it feel to have someone like David on your team? We saw David in the video just walking confidently down the valley to face the giant. If you had someone like David on your team, then you could live with hope, couldn't you? Even in the face of these terrible enemies. And this is where we we get to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the true chosen king, the son of God. Picture, picture David there striding out into the valley, looking so weak, so pitiful, and yet also super confident in the Lord. And then see Jesus, the son of God, the one who steps down into this world, down into this valley of darkness. And he looks so weak. He comes as a as a baby. He's mocked and he's scorned. He faces Satan in in the wilderness. He's tired. He's hungry. And then he goes all the way to the cross and he hangs there and he dies and he looks so weak. And yet even there he is confident in his father. As he strides out to face uh, sin and Satan and death. Looks so weak, but he's super confident. Peter, again, writes about Jesus and his weakness and his death. Listen to what Peter says. Says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So as Jesus strides out into the valley of death, uh, Peter tells us that he was doing that for us. He bore our sins. He faced death for us. And then three days later, he rose again as the winner, as the victor. So one moment he looked super weak. Three days later, he rises in power. He's conquered death. He's defeated Satan. He's broken the power of sin. And remember in the David and Goliath story, it said it was a message for the world. (laughs) 
that the world would know that there's a God in Israel, that the world would know the Lord saves. And there's this message that goes out into the world from that great battle scene, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that the Lord saves. That's the, the gospel. And when we believe the good news about Jesus, we can look onto that battlefield, the cross and the empty tomb, and we can know that sin has been defeated, that death has been destroyed, that Satan is conquered. And that just changes everything, doesn't it? Changes everything. So let's think about that third question. Uh, What would it like, what would it feel like, what would it be like to be on the winning side? To know that these great enemies were defeated. For the last couple of weeks, I read that uh, definition of William Tyndale, his definition of the gospel. He defines the gospel like this. The gospel signifies good news, very glad and joyful tidings that makes a man's heart glad, makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. When we grasp the, the cross and the resurrection, when we understand what Jesus has achieved, that's what we want to do, isn't it? Not to dance and sing and leap for joy. Our three great enemies, sin, death, Satan, defeated, conquered. And, and really, uh, countless songs have been written because of the great victory of Jesus. And I'm just going to read a, a few song verses to you. Here are a few of the songs that have been written in light of Jesus' victory. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? What about this one? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. What about this? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of of Christ I stand. What does it feel like to be on the winning side? It feels like the words of those songs. I wonder, can you sing those songs with a full heart? Have you trusted Jesus? Do you know that you're on the winning side? Every day we wake, as we wake tomorrow Monday morning, we will all face sin. Sin is the the enemy within. Every day, the evil one prowls around and desires to destroy us. Every day we wake, we are one day closer to an encounter with death. Why why would you want to live life without Jesus? 
why would you want to live life apart from him, knowing that's true? In Corinthians, Paul says this, thanks be to God who always gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Probably for lots of us here this morning, we are trusting Jesus. And just seeing the, the wonder of his victory is a great reminder to us, isn't it, to keep on trusting Jesus. Don't, don't go anywhere else. Hold fast to him. Maybe also people here who, who, who have not yet turned to trust and follow Jesus. Still keeping him at arm's length. Still living life your own way. I want you to see how foolish that is in light of Jesus' victory. Why would you ever refuse such a saviour?